In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. By my reckoning, it's about 17 days till Christmas. Is that right? That's my reckoning. I think that's about accurate. So the uh, excitement levels are starting to rise, are they? The stress levels are starting to rise. There's a few things to happen before then, isn't there, Fred and Anna? There's a few important things to happen, but we are waiting. Last Sunday, we reflected on the journey of Advent of waiting, and we reflected about how difficult it is for some of us, some more than others, to wait. This morning, we are in Advent 2, and we are reflecting on the next step in the journey. We're reflecting on the journey of preparing and of paying attention, and we're, we're looking at the text from Exodus, but this whole tension of waiting for what God is going to do in our lives. Henri Nguyen said the following, so for many people, waiting is a dry desert between where we are and where we want to be. We don't enjoy such a place. We want to move out of it and do something worthwhile, but then it comes the time to move. When God says it's time to go, we have to respond and we have to go. And so the text that Chris read to us this morning was really God's word to Israel to say, it's time that you're moving, it's time to be going, and he's saying, listen, pay attention. The Israelites at this point have been out of Egypt for three months. They had been crying out, they'd been waiting for 400 years, waiting on God to rescue them from their slavery, and He finally acted dramatically and powerfully and took them out of Egypt and took them out of their slavery. And so where we find ourselves in the text right now is three months on, three months on from that dramatic rescue. A couple of chapters before, God said these very significant words to the Israelites. In Exodus 19 verse 5, He said, Now if you obey Me fully and keep My covenant, then out of all nations you will be My treasured possessions, although the whole earth is Mine, you will be for Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And as we heard earlier this year from 1 Peter, these names apply to God's church as well. This isn't just Israel that receive this profound blessing that they are holy, that they are treasured, that they are set apart. No, God says that to us this morning as well. Treasured possessions, a kingdom of priests. We have a priestly ministry, Paul says, of proclaiming the gospel. We're a holy nation, Peter says to us. But there is one proviso for Israel and for us. If you obey me fully, if you keep my covenant, then God would say your priestly, holy, treasured status is activated. And what did Israel say? Israel's response to this amazing promise is to say, we will do everything the Lord has said. That's exactly what Israel said. We, Yahweh, will do everything the Lord has said. Well, how did that work out for them? How does that work for us? We're often in that same mindset, aren't we? We say, yeah, we're going to do this for God. We're going to do this for God, and then tomorrow arrives. 
Peter said the same thing. The disciples said the same thing. Yeah, we're, we're in this to the end, and then the end comes, and what happens, and where were they? Chapter 20 in Exodus, Yahweh gives Moses 10 words, the 10 commandments as we've come to know them. Prefaced with his rescue from Egypt, grace follows by law. And then the next two chapters, God gives Moses more instructions. He gives them instructions about Hebrew servants, about accidents, about deliberate violence, about the protection of property. Chapter 23 begins with the instruction, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Yahweh then speaks to Israel about Sabbath laws, about festival laws. Then God says, right, it's time to move. The waiting is over. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 23. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to chapter 23 in Exodus, and I'm reading from verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. I'm sending an angel ahead. Pay attention to him. I wonder if you believe in angels. Do you believe in angels? I believe in angels. Not because I've knowingly seen an angel, but as I read the scriptures from start to finish, I see reference to angels. 290 times angels are referenced in the Bible. So I firmly believe in angels. Some of you might know that my wife Mary writes children's books and she's written three books, and in her last account, an angel shows up. And this particular angel is driving a Toyota Hilux. And I said, I said, Mary, angels don't drive Toyota Hiluxes. And she said, of course they do. And I said, Mary, Mary, you might be confused with some people you've seen driving Toyota Hiluxes, but then I brought out my theology critique and I said, show me in the scriptures anywhere that you see a Bible driving a Hilux. I rest my case, Mary. I believe in angels. What are these angels that God is referring to here? You know, the first reference in the Bible to an angel is Genesis 16, where Hagar is fleeing from Sarai and an angel finds her in a spring near a spring in a desert. It's significant and it's interesting how many times that angels show up in the Scriptures in the wilderness. The second reference to angels in the Scriptures is in Genesis, again, where we find two angels showing up at Sodom. And they warn Lot of the pending judgment, and then they are very influential in bringing that judgment. In the New Testament, angels appear in dreams. Joseph has a number of dreams where angels appear to him and says exactly what is going to happen. So they communicate in dreams, these angels. We learn in the New Testament that they will bring judgment at the end of the age. It's significant that it was an angel that rolled back the stone of the tomb of Jesus. It's very significant that it was an angel who spoke the first gospel message after Jesus had been crucified and said, He has risen from the dead. These angels have a very, very important part in the plan of God's salvation. Hebrews 1 
verse 14 is perhaps the clearest definition of what an angel is. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1.14. So back to Exodus 23. In Exodus 23, it is an angel sent by God to guard Israel and to bring them into the promised land. Now, the last time prior to that, that an angel had been involved in Israel's salvation, it was an angel that had led them out of Egypt, had gone before them, and then as the Egyptian army came behind them, the angel went behind the Israelites and protected them and kept them separate, and a cloud fell down separating them. These angels have an important part in the guarding and the guiding of Israel. So here in Sinai, in chapter 23 in Exodus, the angel is going to do two things. He's going to guard Israel, and he's going to guide them into the promised land. That's what the text says. And so Yahweh says, pay attention. Pay attention to this angel. Listen to what he says. Don't rebel since my name is in him. In the Old Testament, angels are very closely linked to the presence of God himself. So let me say again, the initial job description of this angel was to guard Israel and to guide them into the promised lands. He was going to go ahead of Israel to achieve this. In the prophet Malachi, we hear an echo of this. In the prophet Malachi, we hear the language of a messenger who is going to go ahead of God's people. In Isaiah, we hear of this messenger who is going to prepare the way for God's salvation. And we know from reading the New Testament that the New Testament writers pick up these prophecies and they apply it to John the Baptist. And so in Mark 1, we read the following. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The one that is coming after the messenger John is more powerful. He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. This week I've been reflecting a lot on the power of God. I've been reflecting on the power of angels. I've been reflecting on the power of John the Baptist. And let's be clear, he was very powerful in his ministry in calling the people of Judea to repentance. But there was one more powerful than him. And I've also been reflecting on the power of doctors and medicines. Two stories of people getting sick have prompted my reflections on this. This week, Selwyn Yeoman uh, gave me a book from his wife, Natalie. Some of you will know Selwyn. He was the minister here at Church of Christ. He's recently retired. Natalie is his wife who has just retired from uh, George Street Normal as a teacher. 
four or five years ago, she was diagnosed, she was initially misdiagnosed, and then she was diagnosed having breast cancer. And the diagnosis came in late, and now it appears that this cancer is terminal. She has secondaries throughout her body. And I've been reading her story called A Maze of Grace. And this woman is a woman of faith, of incredible strength, of incredible resilience, of incredible thanksgiving. And, uh, and her faith just shines through as she faces this walk of terminal cancer. And I've been reflecting on the power of God. Many prayers have been offered up for Natalie. Selwyn's going to be preaching here in the new year, and I've invited Natalie to come along and teach one of her songs. She's a great musician, and she teaches the kids' songs, and we're going to have the blessing of her teaching us. A second story comes from a family in Christchurch. Some of us got to know the young family, a young family a few years ago, Don and Heather Ben and their children. Heather was studying in Dunedin to be a doctor, and, uh, and she is now a registered doctor. But earlier this year, her daughter, their oldest daughter, Zoe, came down with an illness, a very, very debilitating illness. And she got very, very sick to the point where she couldn't go to school. She took two months off school. She was in chronic pain to the point where she was struggling to get through the day. Such was the pain that she was enduring. And Heather, of course, is a medical doctor, and she... Uh, went through every avenue that she could possibly find to, to get this child of hers well, to get her, get her diagnosed. Finally, they came up with a diagnosis of genetic arthritis. And so began this uh, very rigorous regime of pills and drugs to help her. They alleviated the symptoms, but they never really got to the bottom of it. Recently, Heather took Zoe along to a church service and asked for prayers for her child, her precious 16-year-old daughter. And the minister at that service prayed a profound prayer for Zoe, and, and he said the following. He said, I'm not going to pray for healing, because in his words, Jesus achieved all healing 2,000 years ago. He simply prayed for Zoe to know the love of God. He prayed that Zoe would know the love of God. And Heather and Zoe knew that God was doing something, and they left that church service, and Zoe said to her mother, I don't have any pain. I don't have any pain. She hasn't had any pain since that day, and in her mother's words, she has been healed, praise God. There's a deep mystery in this. There is a deep mystery in this. Natalie, this profound woman of faith who puts Jesus at the center, remains terminally unwell. Zoe, in answer to prayers for the love of God to envelop her, has been healed. The answer of why Natalie is not yet healed and why Zoe has been healed, we don't know the answer. It's not for us to know, and it's not about the power of God. I can assure you of that. It's not even about obedience. Although we learn from this text, obedience is an important part of being in right relationship with God. The Israelites were commanded to walk in step. John the Baptist was powerful. 
All of Judea flocked to receive his ministry of repentance, but one following him, the Lord Jesus, is more powerful. The angel that went ahead of Israel to guard and to guide was all-powerful, but there is one yet more powerful, the Lord Jesus. It is not about the power of God, but it is about knowing the love of God. The angel's mandate to guard Israel and to lead them into the promised land is provisional on Israel's obedience. God is crystal clear with them that this covenant relationship which he has made with Abraham, which he has reconfirmed with Moses, is dependent on Israel obeying his commands. As we heard in chapter 19, they boldly said, we will do everything the Lord has said. And yet a few chapters later, a few short days later, as they were waiting for Moses to descend from the mountain, a few short days, what did they do? They had melted down their trinkets and they were worshipping a golden calf in idolatry. They were dehumanizing themselves. They were rejecting their calling to be a holy nation, defiling themselves in idolatry. When Jesus called his disciples to himself, he also added a provisional nature. He said, if anyone comes after me. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In John 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Instead of bowing down to the pagan gods, instead of becoming less human, God instructs his holy nation in verse 25 to do the following, to worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry and be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw you into confusion every nation and you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites out of your way, but I will not drive them out in a single year." because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. It's interesting, isn't it, that step by step, God gives them the promised land. It doesn't happen instantly, he says. Step by step, you're going to take over the fullness of my promise for you. Step by step you're going to receive what it is to be in right relationship with me. Yahweh says, pay attention. Pay attention to my messenger. Pay attention to the angel. Pay attention to the messenger. Because I have a plan and a purpose for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. The suffering, the struggle, even the terminal sickness, none of it is outside of the sovereignty of God. None of it. I have a plan and a purpose for you. I'm going to bring you into that promised land. Pay attention. Pay attention to my angel. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in healing? Do you believe in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
this week someone showed me from their word for today a story about James McConnell. Dr. James McConnell is the founder of the Whitewell Metropolitan Tabernacle in Belfast. And he was preaching one night during the Northern Ireland conflict, so it must have been in the early 80s. He was preaching, and one of the IRA came into this church service, and this particular RIA, uh, IRA had a gun, and his plan was to kill the preacher. And the reason he wanted to kill the preacher was because his wife had recently got converted to Christianity, and she had transformed her life, and he didn't recognize his wife any longer. So he came to church that Sunday and he was going to shoot the preacher. As the story goes, the man turned on his heels, walked a few steps into this church service, went to get his gun, looked up, and he turned on his heel and he ran. He became a Christian a few days later. And as the account goes, and as he shared, when he walked in that day, he walked in to kill the preacher and he saw two angels standing on either side of the preacher. Just hoping, just hoping. He came to know the Lord's. The messenger of the Lord's spoke to him and he came to know salvation. What is it that you need guarding from this morning? What is it that you need guiding into this morning? Pay attention. Pay attention to the messengers that God is sending your way. Who or what might be your angel to accomplish this? An angel is simply a messenger of God. I mentioned earlier that I believe there is a profound truth revealed in the miraculous healing of Zoe Ben. The minister who prayed for her didn't pray for her healing. He prayed that she would know the depth of God's love. That she would know the depth of God's love. And in the depth of God's love, in God's sovereignty, she was healed. The depth of God's love is revealed at Calvary, where the curse of sin and sickness was paid for. The great exchange took place. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the depths of God's love. Pay attention. God hasn't promised you healing. Under the new covenant sealed with the blood of Christ, healing is not the promise, it is the gift. It is the love of God that is the promise. Pay attention. At the cross, the healing has begun. What is promised under the new covenant is the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we allow God's grace into our hearts through repentance and faith, we allow God's messenger to guide and to guard us, then we begin to experience the fullness of God's salvation. Pay attention. What is it that you need guarding from this morning? And what is it that God is guiding you into this morning? Pay attention to the messengers. Pay attention to Israel. Pay attention to the journey of Israel. The Israelites who heard so powerfully from Yahweh, who saw so powerfully from Yahweh, and they said, yes, we will do everything that you have commanded. And a few short days, the waiting was too hard for them, and they were bowing down to a golden calf in idolatry. Pay attention. If ever there is a season that we can get enmeshed in idolatry, it's this season. These next 17 days, pay attention 
to what God is saying to you. Pay attention to what the message of Christmas is about. Pay attention to the messengers who God brings along your path over these next 17 days. The weak and the marginal, the poor, the hungry, the prisoner. Pay attention to those people where you see the face of Christ. Pay attention. Pay attention to your own body. Pay attention to what God is saying to you through your own body. Pay attention to the messengers God sends your way. What is it that God is wanting to guard you from? And what is it that God is wanting to guide you into this morning? Healing is not the promise of God. Healing is the gift of God. It is the love of God in Christ Jesus that is the promise for you this morning. When you come to know the Lord Jesus, when you come in repentance and faith to say, yes, yes, I believe that you have fulfilled the promises of Moses. You have fulfilled the disobedience of Israel. You have fulfilled it in your obedience at the cross. It is in Christ Jesus that you experience the promise, the love of God in his son, the Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we gather in your name this morning, and as we sit under your word from Exodus, as we pay attention to your people who were so, so positive about wanting to follow you and then so quick to stumble, Lord, we, we can't but hesitate. But we want to acknowledge this morning that in Christ Jesus, obedience is modeled for us. Not only is it modeled for us, is it lived out for us. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, for each and every heart, for each and every mind, for each and every soul, that you would pour out the depth of your love through your Holy Spirit even now, that you would bring and minister the depth of your love to your children, that we might enter into that promise that you have for us, the promised land. It's not a land any longer, it's a person, your son, Jesus. So we want to take that step. We want to cross the Jordan. We want to move into the promise of living in your love, in the depth of your love. Pour out your grace. Guard us this week, we pray. Guide us into that promised land. We ask this in his name, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Amen.